I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Genesis 17. Our first scripture reading will be from Genesis 17. And then we'll turn to our New Testament reading, Colossians 2. First, we'll begin reading in Genesis 17. And the focus of our study will be verses 1 through 14 of Genesis 17. And we're going to read God's Word this morning under the heading of His promises are still true. His promises are still true from Genesis 17. Let's read the Word of God together. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations to be an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his faith and Abraham, excuse me, fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham 
Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in his house and those bought with his money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And then we'll turn to Colossians chapter 2 for our New Testament reading. Colossians chapter 2 which is found on page 1,169, Colossians 2, and we'll read verses 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul writes, Colossians 2, beginning in verse 11, In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here ends the reading of God's holy word this morning. May we receive it with a believing heart. My most dear friends, the Bible tells us that when God reveals Himself, He reveals Himself as a covenant God. He is described in the Scriptures as the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. If you were to only take a cursory short glance at the Bible, you would quickly come to the conclusion that the covenant is an important part of our faith. The word covenant is actually used over 280 times in the Bible to describe God's relationship with His people. Covenant literally means a bond or a pact. The easy example, of course, is that when we get married, and we stand before one another, and we stand before God, we make a covenant in that moment to be faithful to our spouse, to the Lord. He has always been a covenant-making God. And He always will be a covenant-making God. And He helps us to understand the covenants by giving us signs of faith. We see this all throughout the Bible. Whenever God enters into a relationship with His people, He gives them a sign. Remember that when God entered into a relationship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He gave them the tree of life. 
When God entered into a covenant with Noah, promising that He would never destroy the earth again, He gave him the sign of the rainbow. To Abraham, as we are going to look at this morning, He gives the sign of circumcision. To Israel, He gives the Sabbath and the Passover. And to us, He gives us baptism and the Lord's Supper. We are celebrating what we call a sacrament. And they have an important part of our life. Not just because we will have cake after the service, or cards and kisses from grandma on the little babies, but because God is giving us a gift. He gives us a visible sign to signify inward graces. That's what baptism is. A visible sign to signify inward graces. And so this year, since we've already celebrated the sacrament of baptism twice, and we have at least four more to go, I'm telling you to watch out. There's something in the water, folks. The elders thought it would be wise since we concluded the first section of Romans to meditate on why we observe the sacraments again. And what I want to do is take us all the way back to the first sacrament of the Bible, the sacrament of circumcision, and see that God gives us the sacraments to encourage us in our faith. I wanted you to see three points from Genesis 17 and Colossians 2. The giving of the promise, the sign of the promise, and applying the promise. That's the giving, the sign, and the application of the promise. The first thing that we should notice in Genesis 17 is how old Abraham is. 99 years old. We read in verse 1. The reason this should catch our eye is because Abraham has been on a journey with God in his golden years. If you flip back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, which is the call of Abraham, we read in verse 4 that when God appeared to Abram and called him from the land of Ur, he was 75 years old. A few chapters later, as Abraham is walking with the Lord, God comes to him and makes a covenant with him in Genesis 15. But we read, as we go through the life of Abraham, that after ten, years of re- after 10 years after receiving the covenant promises, they begin to despair whether God is faithful. Sarai and Abram begin to ask questions in Genesis 16. Is God going to fulfill His promise or not? Is He going to do what He said He would do? And so ten years after it was given, we read that they tried to fulfill the promise of God by themselves. Eighty-five years old is Abraham in Genesis 16. You see that in Genesis 16, verse 6. Abram was 86, excuse me, when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. What we're supposed to recognize, even just in this first verse of Genesis 17, is that it has been two and a half decades since the call. 
It has been 13 years since Ishmael was born. And they took the covenant promise into their own hands. The impression Moses gives us in Genesis 17 is actually one of bleakness. Has God's promise failed us? Has He forgotten about us? Or worse, has God rejected us because of our own sinfulness? In other words, are His promises still true? Even when we don't see the fulfillment of them. But after 13 years of questioning, God answers. And something, I'm not sure if you noticed this as we read through Genesis 17 that I want to call to your attention, is did you notice that four times in this chapter, God gives new names. In verse 5, He changes Abram's name to Abraham. In verse 15, He changes Sarai's name to Sarah. In verse 19, He gives the future baby's name, Isaac. But most importantly, He gives Himself a new name in verse 1. The first time in the Bible, He is called God Almighty. In Hebrew, you may even know it, He is called El Shaddai. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. This becomes one of the most famous names of God used throughout the Bible because it refers to His sovereignty and to His power. In fact, for example, in the book of Job, when he is suffering under the bitter providences of God, over 31 times, or I should say 31 times, God comforts the hurting man with His name, I am still El Shaddai. And after Genesis 17, this will become the most important name of God throughout the book of Genesis. Why? Because every time He says, I am El Shaddai, He is saying, I am still faithful to My promises. We see this in chapter 28, verse 3. Chapter 38, verse 11. Chapter 48, verse 3. Chapter 48, verse 4. God appears to the patriarchs and says, I am El Shaddai. In fact, even in Exodus 6, verse 3, He even says, My name which I revealed to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was El Shaddai. If I can put a modern translation on the word, I think we could translate it as the God who is able. El Shaddai means the God who is able. He appears to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 1, and says, Abraham, I am able. Able to fulfill the hopes set before you for a people and a land. I am able, even when you are old, 
I am able, even when you are sinful, I am able to keep my covenant promises. As we read this morning in the baptismal form, even if we are faithless, He remains faithful. My friends, don't some of us need to hear this application this morning? That the El Shaddai is the shining light in the bleakness of our lives. Maybe as we celebrate the sacrament of baptism this morning, there are some parents here who feel like Abram and Sarai. Did you present a child for baptism 10 years ago? 20 years ago? 50 years ago? And still have yet to see the fulfillment of the covenant promise to be a God to that child. And we ask questions. I know we do because people ask me these questions. Has God rejected my child? Is the promise no longer true for this one? And the hardest question that parents so often ask is, has this child rejected the covenant because of my failures as a parent? We need to be encouraged from Genesis 17 this morning that the El Shaddai is still with us. He is still faithful and He is still able to fulfill those promises. And we need to know this morning that the fulfillment of the promise doesn't rest on the person who received the promise. It doesn't rest on the person who gave the promise. At least spoke the promise, like the pastor I mean to indicate. The faithfulness of the promise rests on the person who stands behind the promise. Who offers the promise. El Shaddai. He is the one who fulfills. We see this also in these words to Abraham. The rest of chapter or verse 1 and verse 2, he says, Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. But what we need to see here is not that he's saying to Abraham, do this and then you'll be in my covenant. He's not saying if you are perfect before me, then you're in my covenant. But by affixing his name, El Shaddai, God Almighty, to this command, He is actually showing us that I am the one who is the strength. I am the foundation of the covenant. I am the one who is furnished with power to help you. To fulfill the covenant in you. He says, walk before Me that I may make My covenant. And I may multiply you greatly. It's God who is the strength of the covenant promises. What an incredible thought for us today. That God is faithful even when we are faithless. So Abraham hears this in the bleakness and the sadness of his life. And what does he do in verse 3? It says he falls 
flat on his face. An ancient form of adoration. And God just responds with more and more grace. Notice in verses 3-8, through what God does is He begins to expand upon the covenant promise given in Genesis 15. And notice how these promises just keep getting bigger and better. If you look back at Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God said to Abraham, He would be the father of a great nation, but now we read in verse 4 that He's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 5, His name is changed from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, father of many nations. Verse 6, we see that Abraham will be exceedingly fruitful, not just to have nations come from him, but even kings will come from him. The picture we're given in this short little section is that God's promise is growing. The promise is expanding. It's getting fuller and bigger. And how far does it go? How deep is God's grace? One of the best verses in the Bible. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. Throughout their generations to be an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your offspring after you. His grace is so expansive, it's so large, it's so full, it even envelops the children of Abraham. We just went through the first section of the book of Romans. How deep does sin go? It goes all the way into our hearts. Even before we are born, we are conceived and born into sin, God's grace even extends to those little ones. This is remarkable grace. The promise of salvation given not only to Abraham, but also given to His children. That is that God chooses that His covenant, His pact, His bond would not only be made with Abraham, but also with His children. Young people who are here today who have yet to profess their faith. Notice here in this first section of Genesis 17 that God is giving the promise not only to Abraham, but also to you. The promise to be your God. You don't belong to Satan. You don't even belong to this world. You don't even belong to your parents. Of course, I mean that. Uh, You need to understand my meaning there. You still belong to them. uh, And they love you and you need to listen to them. But ultimately, you are a child of God. And He makes you great promises. Promises that are signified in the sign of baptism, which I want you to notice here. He gives, uh, or the sign of the promise, I should say, He gives to us 
signs to aid us in the remembrance of His promises. Again, we mentioned the subject of the rainbow. That's a sign that God gave to Noah that He will never flood the earth again. And every time we're, we see a rainbow in the clouds, we are supposed to say, wow, God's promises are true. In the same way, God gave the sign of circumcision to Abraham and his descendants. Verse 10, it says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And circumcision really illustrates two important points. It illustrates inclusion, but it also illustrates a penalty. You see, the covenant or the cutting off of the foreskin of the male reproductive organ was a sign of inclusion in God's covenant community. If we look at verse 11, it says that circumcision shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, I don't know about you folks, but when I think of a sign, I think of something big, visible, with big letters so that everybody can see it and read it. But that's not what God is talking about here when He gives the sign of circumcision, is it? For circumcision to have been assigned to other nations, they would have had to have been immodest. Which, of course, God says in the Scriptures that He does not condone. In fact, He even despises immodesty. Not to mention the fact that we have records of actually many other nations practicing circumcision. So it begs the question, who is this sign for? But when we look at verse 11, it tells us it is a sign between me and and you. This is such an important point for us to grasp in the world in which we live. The sacraments are not signs for the world. The sacraments aren't signs for people who don't love God to try to show them something about the love of God. God gives covenant signs for Israel. He gives the covenant signs for you and me. So that every male child on the third day when they were circumcised, they would know for the rest of their lives they were included in God's covenant. That the promise of El Shaddai's salvation belonged to them as well. Even before they knew the name of Yahweh before they ever obeyed any of His laws. They knew they belonged to Him. And it's the same thing we see with baptism. Isn't baptism one of the most beautiful pictures of the Gospel? Because a father as our brother did this morning, walks up these steps when his baby can't even walk yet, 
takes the baby to the font. And the promise of salvation is given to the child. Isn't that exactly what Jesus does for us in the Gospels? We can't save ourselves. Even if God presented to us the promise, we wouldn't have the strength in our own hearts to choose it. But Jesus carries us to the Father in His arms and gives us the grace of His cross. It's a beautiful picture of the Gospel. Being included in the covenant. But one thing we've also reflected on in the book of Romans is that circumcision also is a sign of the penalty for covenant breaking. In the ancient world, of course, they didn't sign contracts. And so what they would do is when they made a contract, they would act out a symbol of some sort, act out a sign of what of a curse that would come upon them if they broke the covenant. And so one of the famous examples is that back in the ancient world, if they made a covenant with somebody, they would take some dirt, pour it on their heads and say, "May I become like this dirt if I don't fulfill my end of the covenant." Even in Genesis 15, God does this. And there's two halves of an animal. God walks through them and basically says to Abraham, if I don't fulfill my covenant promises, may I become like this animal torn in two. And circumcision of a boy on the eighth day was a father acting out this curse. It's as if the man said, oh God, if my boy fails to keep your covenant, may you cut him off from the benefits of your promises. Inclusion and penalty. Do you see that circumcision was not just a sign, a physical sign for the world, but it had spiritual significance? And it's so important that we recognize that there is spiritual significance in circumcision Because when we come to baptism in the New Testament, we see that at their core, they represent the same things. Circumcision, Genesis 17, baptism, as we've seen this morning, spiritually speaking, are the same thing. Now, although this is the minority view in our world today, as we read this morning in the forum, this has been the universal consensus of churches throughout the history of the world. Even our Heidelberg Catechism says in question 74, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they should be, children, should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision. And it was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. That is that the Old Testament rite of circumcision signifies the same thing that baptism signifies today. With the great difference being that baptism is unbloody. 
Why do we not need to make bloody sacrifices anymore? Why do we not need to circumcise our boys anymore? Because Christ has gone to the cross and He has shed His blood one time for all times. Blood never needs to be shed again to come into the presence of God. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, which is our New Testament reading at this point where the Apostle Paul makes this exact point. When talking about the penalty of circumcision, that saying, may I be cut off if I don't obey this covenant sign, the Apostle Paul teaches us in Colossians 2.11, that Jesus had been truly circumcised. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. Listen to what he says. By the circumcision of Christ. And here he's not talking about the actual circumcision when Jesus was eight days old, when He was born in the covenant family. He's talking about Jesus upon the cross. And when Jesus hung upon the cross, He endured the true circumcision, the true cutting apart, the true being split in two from Genesis 15. He was truly cut off like the flesh was of these little boys. But Paul, I should say, in Colossians 2 says, in Him you were circumcised. Do you remember who the audience was to whom Paul is writing of the Colossians? The book of Colossians? Gentile Christians. Not Jews. And look what he says. You are circumcised. You have been circumcised in Christ. Christ is your circumcision. Whether you're a male or a female. Jew or Gentile, black or white, whatever it is, Christ is our circumcision. And when when He anticipates the question, well, when were we circumcised? Look at verse 12. Having been buried with Him in baptism. In other words, when does the spiritual circumcision take place? Paul says, when you were baptized, when those waters were applied to you, Christ's penalty, the penalty of Christ's death, His dying, His circumcision was given to you. This is why baptism in the New Testament is described as one of the greatest blessings we can receive. In the New Testament, it's called the sign of God's saving work, the sign of His forgiveness, the washing away of sins, the renewal in Christ, having put on Christ, the washing of regeneration, the belonging to the covenant community, being united to Christ, Abraham's true seed, the heirs of God's covenant promise. It's not an empty sign, says the Scriptures. It's not without use or just something we do because we like cake after church. We baptize because through these waters, 
God's benefits of grace flow to the church, to us, and to our children. So let me say something so profound this morning. Jesus loves the little children. And He gives you the sign of baptism to prove it. Sometimes in our youth, being raised in the church, we may ask questions, how do I know God loves me? How do I know He's chosen me? How do I know I'm part of the church? The answer is very clearly this. Because He baptized you. Because He baptized you. And we see then that this sign is to be applied very broadly to Abraham's household. After the giving of His promise, He accompanies it with the sign of circumcision. And we see here that this is a sign that's supposed to be physical in the flesh. We read in verse 24 uh, that Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. This is our example of someone coming to faith as an adult. He professed faith and then he was circumcised. But we see that the sign is not only given to those who have professed faith, but we're told that every male, eight days old, Slave or free, we're all circumcised in Abraham's household. So allow me to be crystal clear this morning. The children of the Old Testament were given the sign of faith before they had faith. Who commanded it? God Himself. And the children of the Old Testament are included in God's covenant and are no less than adults promised salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And we see this time and again and again and again throughout the New Testament. There are adults who come to faith. They profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they are baptized but one-fourth of all baptisms in the New Testament are referred to as household baptisms. Now, I will admit to my Baptist friends that there is no single New Testament verse that says, Thou shalt baptize babies. But I think this strongly suggests it. And since the New Testament doesn't exclude children from the covenant, and they were included when God gave the covenant in Genesis 17, and we have all these household baptisms, which we assume had children, and Christ, while He was on earth, laid His hands upon children and blessed them. We should be confident this morning that God's opinion of your children has not changed. He has always loved the children of believers always desired the salvation of children of believers, and He always will love the children of believers. But there's also a warning here, isn't there? 
Flip back with me to Genesis 17 if you haven't already. Where we see a warning placed in verse 14. Where it says, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God says for all people who are in relationship with Him, adult or infant, they are all to receive the sign of His covenant promises. We must be diligent as parents in the raising of our children in the faith. Diligent to give them the signs that God has said belong to them. Diligent to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord that God loves and cherishes and cares for the children of believers. That's the external sign. But I want you to notice one final thing from our passage together this morning. Look at who was circumcised that day in Genesis 17. Abraham, the servants of his household, but also his firstborn son, Ishmael. We know that Ishmael will later abandon the covenant. He will turn from the promises given to him in his circumcision. And he will even grow up and become the father of Islam. And we have countless examples of people in the Bible receiving the sign of the promise, but not receiving what it represents. Ishmael, Esau, Absalom, the evil kings were all circumcised. My most dear friends, circumcision was a physical sign, but it needs to point to that inward grace. Don't just have be circumcised in the flesh, says the Apostle Paul in Romans 2, but we need to be circumcised of the heart. And it's the same thing with baptism here today. Covenant children, are you resting in your baptism? Is your baptism your basis for right standing before God? Or are you trusting in the Christ that baptism points you towards? I pray that you would not just look to the waters of baptism, but look to the Jesus who stands behind the baptism, who is in the water, who gives you the promise, I will be your God. Embrace me. Love me. Cherish me. Because in baptism, not only is the promise of being a part of God's community, not only is there the penalty, but there is also the great promise of salvation. We read in Genesis 17, verse 6, that what will come from Sarai? Sarah? Nations and kings. We read in Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. King Jesus came through Abraham. King Jesus was given these signs. And King Jesus is what these signs point towards. 
that there is a promise not only of inclusion, not only of penalty, but the promise of salvation in baptism. I will be your God. Embrace Christ by faith. And He will be your God not only today, not only when you were first baptized, but be your God from everlasting to everlasting. Congregation, His promises are true and they will always be true. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we do give You thanks for the sacrament of baptism this morning that we were able to celebrate. And we thank You for the promises of Your Word that You have given us the Word and You have given us the sign. But this promise needs to be applied not only in the flesh, but also to our hearts. Our embrace and love for Jesus Christ. We thank You for the salvation offered to us in Him. And we ask God that You would bless it unto our hearts. And if there be any among us who have yet to be baptized in the Spirit, so to speak, circumcised not in the flesh but of the heart, we pray that by Your Holy Spirit, that you might work salvation in their hearts, which you have signified to them in their baptism, and that they might embrace Christ, who is King and Lord over all. We thank you that your promise of salvation is true this day. In Jesus' name, amen.